Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Fantastic to be here today. As always, Eric, how you doing? I'm doing great. Great. It's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say it's great to take your dog for a walk, but... It's not bad. Yeah, grab an umbrella, grab a slicker. Yeah, it's warmer anyway. Yes, which is nice. I'm yeah. happy with that. Yeah. Well, I had a fun little thing come up yesterday. I sort of last minute was on a Q13 Fox last night um, about the story of this dog who his name is Rex. He's a German Shepherd, three years old, and his uh, house was broken into and um, he was shot three times. Oh, Rex. I know. And survived. And uh, his family credits him with saving their uh, teenage son's life who was hiding in a closet on the phone <clears throat> with the police. And um, they, they've they been sort of following the story since this happened, you know, this happened and following Rex's recovery and he's, he's back home and, you know, still recovering, but, um, you know, made it. And, and now they're noticing that he's showing signs of trauma. You yeah. Know, as PTSD. Anybody would in that right. situation. Well, I yeah. know. Right. Get shot three times. And, um, and so it's they they reached out to me to um, sort of speak to this phenomenon and, you know, first of all, sort of acknowledging that, yes, dogs and other animals absolutely can experience trauma that stays with them after the actual event. Yeah. Much in the way that that people do. And mm-hmm. um, so kind of first first acknowledging that i mean i'm such a you know from my perspective i'm like uh, obviously you know because i work i (laughs) work with dogs who are you know have been through trauma and uh you know are are challenged in life because of past traumatic experiences and like that's my line of work that's my expertise so it it i almost had to be reminded that it that's not necessarily common knowledge that people Mm. know that animals can experience their version of PTSD much like people do in their way. Um, So I posted the story on our Facebook page so you can find it on there. Just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Facebook and you can see um, the piece that they did, uh, it was a local uh, Q13 station that did the, you know, is kind of following the story. Um, so that was really fun. And it, I mean, the experience was fun. Of course, the topic matter is not at all. Um, but I was really, really glad that they are uh, sort of shedding light on this topic and bringing awareness to the fact that um, and, you know, in this case, dogs absolutely can experience trauma. And, and so that, I mean, if it's not acknowledged, for sure, it can't be worked with if it's not acknowledged in the first place. Right. And then also, well, what do you do? So I did this, um, talked with the reporter and. Um, and, you know, we had, a, a, you know, more than a couple minutes conversation and she asked really great questions, really thoughtful questions and. You know, we got into it, and then as it happens, only, you know, short, short, short snippets of that conversation showed up, of right. course, because that's just the way it goes. But I was like, oh, my gosh, there's, there's just so much there to talk about. So I thought yeah. I would take today and give a little bit more information about working with trauma in dogs. Well, that's and, great, because they don't have the full hour like we do. Right. I know, huh? And even then, it sort of feels like not quite enough time. So. Well, true. But we are on every week at uh, 2 o'clock every Wednesday. <laughs> right. Or available to download, Hence, of 470 episodes, which That's I right. believe is today. So, um, so the first thing is, you know, after acknowledging the, 
the first thing, which is, yes, they do experience trauma much in the way that people do. I mean, they're dogs, but we all have, you know, all mammals have pretty similar nervous systems as far as how we how they're um, mapped out. Uh, There's certainly variation, of course. Uh, Humans frontal lobe is larger than the frontal lobe in dogs, for example. Dogs' skulls have much more um, air, uh, like sort of sinus cavities or, or more air in it because of how much of their brain is devoted to uh, analyzing scent. So they need that space to kind of take in air to have all of the receptors and everything that takes all that information from the air and sends it to the brain and process the do- part of the brain in dogs that analyzes scent, I believe, is 40 times larger than the part of the brain in humans that analyzes scent. And our brains are bigger in general, so that even more so, you know, so much more of their brain is really dedicated to that. But as far as the, the basic structure of stuff, we're really really the same in a lot of ways. And I, I talked with um, Gregory Burns, who is the one of the people who did is doing the work where he's trained dogs to go into MRI machines and be comfortable in an MRI machine so that he's been uh, you know doing studies on the brain activity and and all that and it really shows you know quote unquote proving in science that indeed our brains work very much in the same way and so when we look at at things like trauma and stress you know, for sure, uh, for sure dogs as well. So, so what do you do? You know, what, you know, one of the questions that she asked was, um, how, what are some of the other ways that I have witnessed dogs, um, not the ways that they've experienced trauma, but like what circumstances have they gone through that had them, um, you know, basically have like a quote unquote PTSD or, you know, sort of be living with um, trauma. And I was like, oh, that's a really good question. What are some of the what are some of the answers or some of the ways? And I was thinking, I know one client recently, they have a dog who was in a car when the car got broken into. And so they've they're really vigilant um, in the car now. Um and then I was like, you know, little dogs especially, but I think dogs in general, a lot of times when they, if they end up stray, they can have uh, sort of trauma. I've seen this especially with little dogs around other dogs, which would make sense if you're a little dog especially and you end up stray and then you're coming across other dogs and you're little and it's not likely a friendly interaction. So they would be really, have a tendency to be really reactive to other dogs. And so it makes sense that they probably had some pretty intense situations where now, they were having to fend for themselves. It, it seems like little dogs, maybe this is a, you know, a generalization. So sorry if I'm offending any little dogs or little dog <laughs> uh, friends, but they seem a little bit more high strung than uh, dogs of other sizes. Have you found that to be the experience? I would say as a generalization, yes. Yeah. And, you know, when you look back on, kind of how things were structured. I don't remember where I heard this, but I heard this years ago where it was like back in the day, mm-hmm. you had the big dogs outside, you know, living outside mostly. And then right. you had the little dogs inside and the little dogs would actually hear a disturbance outside, mm-hmm. bark from inside, get the big dogs who were outside up to go check it out. So if you think of things in terms of that, like, well, the little dogs are further away from the disturbance, but they're the ones to catch it first. Hmm. So that kind of like high, right? So that sort of high strung, hey, like, you know, I heard that. What's that? You know, that that kind of thing would serve them if they were needing to be vigilant about Hmm. anything. Right. I say this all the time. Don't underestimate little dogs. Sure. And especially their need for a constructive outlet for their mental energy. I mean, all dogs. I don't need to say this again one more time on the show, <laughs> but apparently I do. 
you know, this whole, this constructive outlet for mental energy. And I even talked about it with uh, the reporter's name was Tadovic and, um, you know, talked with her about her, about this for Rex too, you know, like making sure he's got other stuff to do that the, the trauma that he experienced is focused on, but that he's also really worked with in a, in a holistic way. So working with all parts of him doing other stuff, I recommended nose work, of course, um, giving him a constructive outlet for his mental energy, any, any, as much repetition as we can give him where he's feeling good and in a way that's specifically engaging his nervous system in a constructive, positive way mm-hmm. to help sort of um, light those pathways up rather than just having these pathways of trauma lit up, lit up, lit up, because that's, ju- that's just what's so loud for him right now. I mean, this only happened like a week and a half ago. Right. So he's still physically recovering. Mm-hmm. Um, but his family is definitely noticing, and they're noticing he's got a thing now with feet. Hmm. And if and he bit the intruders, which is why he got shot. Hmm. Good boy. Right. <laughs> um, which also brings up bite laws, but that's another show. 40,000 years dogs have been living with us, alerting us to intruders, and this dog was doing his job. Yeah. So... Anyway, but so, yeah, she's saying that now he's got a thing with feet and he's really like, you know, real vigilant about feet and all that. And I'm thinking he was probably kicked because if I was breaking into a house and a German shepherd was coming after me, I'd probably be using my feet to try to defend myself. And so that's associated with the traumatic event. And so that's that's a sort of a a line that's uh, connected for him and all that stuff. It's really very sad. It's it's so you know, it's hard to um, connect with the story like this um, because you really get with the details of what happened. And it's mm-hmm. like, Ooh. do you happen to know if they caught his attackers? No, not oh. that I know of okay. as of now. Well, fingers crossed that they Yeah, did. huh? for sure. I know um, PETA, I think, was like uh, put, offered a reward for the capture of the um burglars <laughs> yeah, yeah. Intruders. and Great. i think somebody else did too and there's a gofundme up for the family and there's been a ton of money raised which is just so amazing i mean you know there's so many examples of where people come together and help mm-hmm. each other out and and we have a lot in common and it's a good to remember that in in these times so anyway the trauma so um talking about the brain you know, and like, yes. And there's research. I did an interview years ago, and I'm actually going to be reaching back out to him because this was several years ago that I talked with Dr. Frank McMillan with uh, Best Friends Animal Society, and he was doing research on PTSD in dogs who were puppy mill breeding dogs. And so that was his specific focus at the time, but I'm sure that they've I'll be real curious to hear what he's learned and if he's focusing on anything else in his research. So I'm also inspired to reach back out to them and see what's going on in the world of canine science, specifically around PTSD now, since this is up. So in talking about, you know, what, how do you help a dog through trauma, you know, an experience of trauma? And so this is, you know, highlight, highlight, underline, bold, that every dog is different, first of all. So it's it's challenging to address these types of things generally because every dog is different. But I can give you a sort of cast a wide net of information and and then kind of take what you, you know, take what you think maybe fits for your dog or, I mean, really, and I say this a lot too with behavioral stuff, try to work with somebody in your area so that they can actually meet your dog. And um, because there is a lot of individual um, attention that needs to be put on this, just like with people. I mean, there's not one protocol that you send every person who has PTSD through. It's everybody's different. So people will respond to different therapies and different, different ways that they'll connect with that that will help them heal. And dogs are no different. So every dog is different. But generally speaking, Um, really in the, so one aspect, one way to focus on this is, um, 
so their challenge, especially now, and it's only been a week and a half, and this is a guarding breed anyway, and people have challenges with this behavior anyway. I mean, this is one of the most common things that we work with anyway, let alone a dog being having their house broken into and being shot. So talk about reinforcing a suspicion of strangers coming into the house. I mean, you can't blame them. Um, but now they're sitting, like any time a stranger comes in, he's really upset, right? Obviously makes sense. But what do they what do they do with that? You know, and I think he's kind of crate bound now because of his injuries. So they have to limit his movement. So there are some challenges in that way physically for him. And he's got some physical recovery that still needs to happen for sure. But once he is able to, or even having him out, this would be a good way to get him out of the crate too. And even if he has to be on leash, but like, you know, not having him go crazy in the crate mentally too is important. So if they can get him out on leash, do some basic training with him, maybe do some nose work or some mind games, stuff like that. If he can't have physical exercise, because I have seen like puppies get hurt and they're fine. And then they have to like a puppy like breaks their leg and then they have to be in a crate for like four to six weeks and they come out of the crate kind of a different dog. Like it can really kind of mess with them. So you have to be really careful about that for anybody who has a dog that's gone through an injury and their movement needs to be really restricted, that you definitely want to do do some mind stuff with the dog if they can't have physical exercise. If their physical movement has to be really limited to heal, make sure that you're doing everything you can mentally to stimulate the dog because otherwise it can, that can actually be traumatic to be cooped up for like six weeks and be understimulated. Um, but... In an environment, and this is kind of true with any reactive behavior, you want to focus on what you want the do, what you want the dog to do instead of the undesirable behavior. So what do we want Rex to do when somebody comes over? He is a working breed, um, especially, but any dog this applies to. Uh, what is it that we want him to do? So it's not, you know, hey, don't bark at those people or don't lunge or don't bite at their feet or whatever. Like, well, that's fine. But he needs to know what 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 to do in the situation. So, you know, training him to go to a rug and wait there. I think I talked about this uh, at the end of last year when we did a holiday show on being guest savvy with your dog. Um, this is one of the most common ways to kind of work with a dog around reactive behavior with people coming over is um, what do you want them to do? Positive direction. So we want to focus on what we want. Someone's at the door. You go to your rug. You wait there. As he's waiting, you can pr you get to praise him for the good work that he's doing. Good wait. Good wait. That's so good. Good wait. If he breaks off the rug to, you know, charge the door, you can put him, you know, no, put him back on the rug, wait and work him through that. So you establish with him that he needs to listen, but that the focus is on the good work that he's doing, that he's feeling good as he's doing the work and that you're also putting the structure in place of this is the job I need you to do for me. And so then you're also establishing a leadership dynamic with him to let him know, okay, thank you. This person is authorized. Now I need you to relax. So even harder with trauma, um, not just your average reactive dog, but if you have a dog that's specifically been traumatized around this, it can be even harder. But that's definitely one of the bases you want to cover is making sure that you have lines of communication open with the dog one of the best ways to do this, at least to start, is to get a really solid foundation of just basic obedience training and establishing it in a way so that the dog learns to do what you ask him to do and to hold it until he's released. So it's not just like surface training, like, hey, I'm waving a treat at you and there's nobody else in the house and we're in the kitchen. Of course, the dog is going to do anything you want, but really building the dog up to learning how to listen through higher levels of distraction. There are, anyway, there are triggers. So one of the things about PTSD that we think about or anxiety that we think about in humans for sure and in dogs absolutely is triggers. You know, what triggers the dog? So his um, 
one of his owners talked about shoes and that shoot like feet movement is kind of a trigger for him. It's interesting because I'm actually working with another dog who has a thing with feet too. Um, and they don't know why, you know, he kind of came with that when they um, adopted him. So it's like, hmm, it's interesting. Um, uh, being a stranger coming into the house, that's a trigger for this dog now because of what happened. So identifying what those are and then, you know, there's, there's stuff that can go along with that. So knocking on the door. Did they knock on the door first? Most people who are visiting anyway are going to knock on the door, ring the doorbell or something. A lot of times, you know, the sound of a door handle, the door opening and closing. So what they can do is they can work with him on learning to wait on a rug while, you know, through these types of distractions that they set up when there's not actually somebody there they go over to the door and maybe lightly knock on the door while they tell the dog, good wait, good wait, good wait, good wait, and that'll help him kind of keep focused on what it is he's supposed to be doing. And then he gets used to kind of, who is this like some, oh, I just heard the door knock, and whoa, I really have an impulse to break off the rug, but I'm learning how to think through that impulse or that reaction. So there's, there's a lot there, um, and I've worked, this is part of what I've done for over 15 years, is teach people how to train their dogs, not just working with behavior, but also working with training. And those are two different things. Um, but that's where training kind of comes into the picture. You can't train a dog out of PTSD. It's not a training issue. It's a behavior issue. But we absolutely need... Uh, you know, a solid foundation of communication and tools in the way of just some basic commands so that you can give the dog direction. This is what I want you to do. If we're in a situation and you're not sure what to do or you feel afraid or whatever, and you're going to have an impulse to go and charge or bark or hurt or nip or whatever it is, we're going to work with you and teach you how to think through it. And this can be, especially with PTSD, this can be a slow process. You just have to be patient. But have, have faith that the dog will get better. You know, dogs learn through experience, repetitive experience. We can't sit him down and have him watch a video or have him read a book or have him listen to a podcast about how to do this. He's a dog. And dogs learn through experiencing. That's how they learn repetition over and over and over and over and over again. So it will take setting that up over and over and over and over again. And you'll see over the course of repetition, the dog will get better and better and better. But you have to go through the repetition in order to see that. So be patient, have faith in the process, and just keep working, keep working, keep working. And if what you're, if you've, you know, been working for a while and it's not working, then that lets you know that there's something that you need to adjust as the handler. Um, you know, I mean, to a degree, it can take time and repetition, but then in other situations, maybe we're not quite, you know, getting it right on our end and the dogs are kind of letting us know because they're not getting it. And so then we need to take a step back and look at, well, okay, what do I need to adjust so that the dog is successful? So that's where kind of training comes in. Um, there's also, so that's training around specifically around the trauma so when people come over, this is directly related to the house being broken into and him being shot. So people coming over is going to bring that up for him, right? But then there's also training generally, not about the specific trauma or around the specific trauma, people coming to the door, whatever, but just general training. And this is where I brought up nose work and puzzles and anything else that he can do that is fun that where he feels good that's building confidence that's strengthening the bond with him and his people because they're working together maybe it's you know nose work i can't say enough about it if you're if you've been listening to the show for the for a while you might be like shut up about nose work for once but i'm telling you there's a reason so, um, or maybe it's, you know, hurting or in his case, he's got physical, um, physical 
injuries that he's healing from, but another dog might do well with like agility or if they're really physically confident, you know, that might be a good way to engage their brain. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you can do with dogs, tricks, teaching them tricks, um, just fun tricks. You can find, you can learn how to teach anything online. Just go to YouTube. Um, herding for a herding breed or lure coursing for a sight hound or weight pulling, carting for a working breed. I mean, Right? There's all sorts of stuff that you can do. So anything, as long as it's something that the dog, that's a positive experience for the dog and it's balancing out the obedience training where there's more structure in it, in it and you're giving the dog direction. So it's good to balance that out with other stuff that you guys do together that's fun. You know, nose work, I joke that there's no no in nose work, even though technically there is. <laughs> um, because it's not about, there's no corrections in, in stuff like that. Whereas in obedience training, um, there can be. So, um, so balancing that out and building his confidence and engaging his brain. Because with PTSD, it's, a, it's sort of about pathways. Like um, the, the nervous system gets really jolted in a you know, fight or flight way. A real fundamental way where it's, you know, a life or death experience. And in this case, actually a life or death experience where, you know, he was shot. So, um, so I just lost my train of thought a little bit. (laughs) It's all right. I'm all in Rex land. So balancing out the training and, um, having him feel good about the work that he's doing um, and the pathways, like it was, it's the way that PTSD hits the body. It's, it kind of, you know, wires us in a way that's really loud. And so when we hit, when we get hit by those triggers, it lights up that same experience and we sort of are brought back, right? Brought back to that experience. And that's a nervous system phenomenon, it's not a choice, you know, it's not like a thought process. Oh, there's that. I'm going to do this. It's like a body reaction. And so as much as we can help prevent that experience, you know, we don't want him to continue to just feel that way, to continue to just be triggered and kind of light up those pathways over and over and over again, because then it's almost like figuratively speaking, it's almost like the grooves just get deeper and deeper and deeper every time. One of the questions that um, Tadovic asked the journalist that I talked with was, um, is it uh, you know, important for them to start now with his emotional mental therapy you know, or you know, what kind of a difference would it make like, if they waited a long time? And yes, absolutely. You want to start as soon as possible and start supporting him as, as best you can. So we're really wanting to... Um, when we say like having him have an experience, like I'm talking about a nervous system experience. And, and this was part of what they, what they chose on the clip um, on the news last night was, you know, engaging his nervous system in a really productive, constructive, positive way and having there be a lot of repetition of that. So not just obedience training, but anything else that they can do with him to keep him focused on something positive, feeling good, feeling confident. And if he's feeling that way, he's therefore not feeling triggered. And then when he is triggered or in situations where he is vulnerable to being triggered, then knowing how to work with those specifically as well. So um, next I want to talk about medication because that's something too that Still, people are like, what? You know, medication, psych, like pharmaceuticals, like psychiatric medication for dogs. What? It's a dog, you know, like that. So I do want to talk about our experience working with medication with behavior over the years because, um, you know, especially with trauma, um, anxiety, uh, PTSD, stuff like that, you know, a lot of dogs can really benefit from medication and in some cases really need that, that sort of chemical support to help them with the behavioral therapy that they're doing. So it's, you know, that's a world of it too. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to be talking more about uh, working with dogs who have PTSD or who uh, have experienced trauma and all kind of as many different aspects of that that I can get to in the show. 
We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're a good dog. You're a good dog. Yes, you are. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And talking today about PTSD in dogs, I was on the local news last night talking about a German shepherd who was shot by burglars three times and his family credits him with saving their teenage son's life who was uh, able to call the police. Um, but unfortunately, the dog was injured and and luckily survived the matter and the family is now saying that he's sh- sh- showing signs of trauma. Um, Posted a link to the piece on our Facebook page, so check it out if you haven't. It was on Q13 Fox. They did a great job covering it, and they're covering the story ongoingly. And then last night, um, you know, really uh, shined a light on this issue of of trauma in dogs and bringing it up, first of all, acknowledging that, yes, they do experience trauma. They can experience trauma in a a very similar way to how people do and, and, and how do you work with them through it. So... In the first part of the show, I talked about training and where that falls into place, where obedience training can be used in the specific situations that might be a trigger for the dog. In Rex's case, people coming to the house, of course, the house was broken into, that was traumatic, so strangers coming to the door is a a particular um, specific trigger for him that he's really having a hard time with now. He was already protective as most dogs are and he's a, you know, German shepherd. And now he's like, well, now I really don't, you know, I'm really uncomfortable with this now. So what can you do to give him some constructive direction and all that? So if you've missed any part of this show or any of our well over 450 episodes now, you can find them all archived on our website, dogradioshow.com. You can find them on iTunes as a free podcast, and I post all of our episodes to our Facebook page as well through SoundCloud. So lots of ways to listen. So I talked um, right before our last break about medication and that this is something that is more and more becoming um, kind of established that dogs can uh, benefit from psychiatric medication in a very similar way that humans can. Uh, there is, you know, there is such thing as, as a doggy Prozac, as a doggy Xanax, uh, doggy Valium. Now, just to say that these are not the same. So if you're thinking, oh, my dog can have Xanax, I have Xanax, I'll just give my dog some of my Xanax. No. You want to work with your veterinarian on medication. They're formulated differently. They're metabolized differently in dogs than they are in us. Of course, you want to make sure you get the dosage right, but the medication itself is different. So don't be giving your dog whatever you have for yourself because it it, um, might not hit their system the same way. So work with your veterinarian about that. And and there's lots of different medications to try and definitely – one thing that we sort of expect when we're working with our clients, veterinarians, about medication is that oftentimes it's a trial and error process because some dogs respond really well to Prozac. Other dogs, it do, that doesn't do anything for them. They respond well to Trazodone. Other dogs, that neither of those do anything for them. What works well for them is Gabapentin, which is a, a whole different class of medication um, that works really well for so, so you really need to s- just try and observe your dog and see if it's helping. And you want to do this along with behavioral therapy too. So we, we don't ever just, you know, oh, just give them pills and they'll get better. It, the, the medication though can really help them absorb the training and, um, you know, make more progress so it's not just giving them pills and stuff um so well i have i'm actually reading now i've got some stuff all pulled up here and i'm reading that the the drugs metabolize differently in dogs but 
the medications themselves, I think, are the same. So I just wanted to be clear about that. So still, work with your veterinarian. Don't just give what you have because you want to make sure that you're giving the right dose because they do metabolize differently in dogs. But I think the medications are actually the same. So anyway, medication, you know, it's not like, oh, doggy Prozac. What? That's ridiculous. It's a dog, you know, like you still hear that. And well, there's a reason why a lot of uh, research on medications, including cancer research are for people are done, unfortunately, on dogs because they're physiology is so similar to us and we really respond so similarly to medication. So yes, it actually is a thing, you know, dogs with anxiety, dogs with uh, PTSD, that type of stuff. In a lot of cases, medication is absolutely what they need to help them get through it. Maybe it's temporary, you know, maybe it's just while they're in, you know, while they're getting over it and then you can wean them off of it. Or maybe that's something that they need to be on forever and that's okay too, you know? Um, but just try different things. If you try one thing and it doesn't work, don't just think, oh, well, we tried medication and that doesn't work because there's a lot of different ones. And just like with people, we respond differently to different things. I mean, Xanax, for example, can have the opposite effect on some individuals where instead of being having more of like a sedative effect, it can actually make an individual more amped up. So, of course, that's not going to be a good fit for that individual. So just work with your vet on that. But be open to medication. So I get it. Like, I don't want to just medicate everybody and like, oh, well, give them medication, you know, give them medication, sedate them, blah, blah, blah. So a lot of times people are kind of like, mm, I don't know about that. I'd really like to avoid that if possible. And I totally get that. And I think that that is, you know, like there's good aspects of being that way about it. I mean, you want to be critical pretty much of everything and, and be informed and be educated and all that kind of stuff. But I've also worked with people where I really feel like this dog as an individual, I really feel would benefit from medication. And they're still kind of like, well, I don't really want to. And I'm like, but the dog really needs some chemical support. So be open to it. Talk with your veterinarian. And just as a side note, if you don't feel confident in your veterinarian, find another one. Because, you know, we are, our vets are, you know, good vets are like gold, but they're not um, all created equally. I just had somebody get in touch with me with a question about unrelated to PTSD. I think more about a leg injury, but they had a really bad experience with a vet and kind of had a feeling that it wasn't good, but I don't know. Just wanted to say that, like, be empowered around your pet's um, medical needs as as much as we need to be empowered about our own needs. Like, we need to work with our doctors and, and feel that our doctors work with us as well and that we're not just, you know, so just, just to say that as a side note. So medication. Um be open to it. Work with your veterinarian on it. Try different things. If you try one thing and it doesn't work, try something else because maybe that would work too. And we don't, we're not necessarily wanting to just sedate the dog. We are wanting the dog to feel less anxiety. So that's another thing, another concern that's very valid that people have is, well, I tried this one thing and the dog was like super loopy and out of it and his eyes were glazed over. And it's like, well, that's not really what we're after. Maybe the dose was too high or maybe that was just the wrong fit or just not the right medication to, to have been prescribed in the first place. So you're not looking to see that the dog is like sedated and out of it. We're looking to see that the anxiety is decreased and that the dog is actually able to be in some ways more present because the anxiety isn't impacting them as much. Physical exercise. So I know I talk a lot about mental exercise, mental exercise, mental energy, constructive outlet for mental energy. Yes. Physical exercise though. I mean, how much information is out there on the benefits of physical exercise for humans and stress? It does wonders for us chemically. I think it releases dopamine in the body. It, you know, gets the blood flowing, circulation, the heart pumping, there's a whole lot that goes on that's beneficial for us for exercise. So for your dog who's 
you know, experiencing trauma, one way to help them feel good would be to get their body moving in a way that is appropriate for them. Um, if it's an older dog with arthritis, maybe it's like, you know, warm water swim therapy or something like that. Um, even a nice long walk or um, if it's a young active dog, maybe it is something a little more rigorous like agility or something like that. But that physical exercise piece is um, really important too. Good nutrition, you know, huge in health and supporting the body's, the body's functions, you know, helping the body function as it's intended. Um, you know, the less processed food, the better. Um, the less kibble your dog eats, generally speaking, the better. The kind of kibble your dog eats makes a difference. Getting your pet food, if you can, from a small independent pet store that focuses more on quote-unquote natural options rather than your, you know, grocery store or, you know, a pet food superstore. If you can, from where you're listening from, try to get that. You can always supplement your dog's food with, you know, something that you make at home. Maybe you steam up a bunch of veggies and then, you know, add that to your dog's food even. or Give them blueberries or something. Like, it's it doesn't even have to be this hard thing. But any way that you can get um, actual food in your dog's body that's not like brown pellets that's been so highly processed, the, the better it's going to be for your dog. Now, of course, if your dog has food sensitivities or something like that, you'll need to be careful about that. But I think you'll know, you know, you, you know your dog better than anyone. Goat milk. You know, we love, we love goat milk. It's an easy way to add nutrition to your dog's food, probiotics and enzymes, um, promotes a healthy digestive tract. That's the, almost the most important thing to immune function in general, because so much of that is, is located in the gut. Um, also mood and anxiety have uh, links to digestion as well. So we want to take care of the tummy. So do whatever you can. Um, if there's holistic vets in the area that you can reach out to maybe about ideas, do some research online. There's lots of places that offer, you know, home prepared options that you could even just supplement with. Or like I said, maybe you're just, you know, giving your dog some leftover veggies. You want to steam them or puree them though. Um, so that they can access the nutrients. But supporting the dog, um, you know, nutritionally, supporting their body that way definitely helps too. And, you know, the human aspect of it too, you know, like the if there's, in this case, you know, talking about Rex and his family, his human family members are impacted by this as well, you know, Um and so he's going to really be feeling the human's stress. So in this case, I don't think that it's most commonly the case where the humans experience the trauma, have experienced the same trauma as the dog has. But in this case, it absolutely is. is. And so really taking care of yourself in general with whatever you're working with with your dog. I mean, that's one of the best things you can do for your dog is to take care of your own stress level. If you have PTSD, um, you know, making sure that you're getting the help that you need and that, um, you know, you're healing as well to help the, because the dogs feel everything. And some dogs more than others um, will actually kind of take it on. And so it's really the, the better off you are mentally and emotionally and physically, it's going to actually help your dog because they're feeling everything that you're feeling. And so if, if you're feeling, you know, a hypervigilance, and I know, you know, in this family's case, and it makes total sense, of course, they're feeling this way, um, you know, afraid to go back to the house, uh, you know, sort of being haunted by the memories and all that stuff, but, you know, to make sure that they're getting the help that they need, um, because the dogs feel it totally. So we've got pointed training for specific triggers, whether it's, you know, on leash or people coming to the house or, you know, any specific trigger that it is. We want to, you know, give the dog a constructive direction, what to do with yourself through that. Um, there can be counter conditioning that can happen 
although I think that this is over applied, especially in the case of like PTSD. Um, conditioning and association are a powerful phenomenon for sure. And it's especially powerful when it's being applied to something that's neutral. So I don't have a feeling towards this one way or the other. This, we use this like for the rug, for example, if you're wanting to teach your dog to go to a rug. Bring the dog over to the rug, and then as soon as they step onto the rug, you say, oh, you know, this is the first, first levels of training where you're just introducing it. Good rug. Oh, what a good rug. And you're just like, wow, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And the dog gets lots of treats on the rug and pets, and you're excited. And then you walk off the rug, and then you're just kind of like boring. And then you turn around, you walk back onto the rug. They step on the rug. Oh, good rug. Like, wow. And they're like, whoa. And you do that over and over again because, of course, remember, dogs learn through repetition of experience. The dog's like, cool. I love this rug. This rug loves me, and I want to be here. It's a positive association that we've created. Easy. The rug was neutral to, to begin with. But with something like PTSD or trauma otherwise, counterconditioning has its place, but I think is way over-applied in the industry. I mean, you don't see a combat veteran getting fed M&Ms every time there's a trigger that's engaging a fight-or-flight response in their nervous system. So just because you're giving a dog treats in the presence of something that really deeply scares them doesn't mean that they're just going to be like, oh, well, this isn't bad. I thought this was bad. But since you're giving me treats with this, I'll just override that really intense fear response because I'm getting fed. It's not really, I mean, I wish it was that easy, but it's it's not. So, But there are some things that you can do where um, the, the trigger, like the fear response isn't so high, so you have to work with it in lower levels. But that can be really effective too. I mean, it definitely has its place in the conversation for sure. Um, it's a thing. Um, but we just want to be careful not to over-apply it and just think that you can throw treats at anything and the dog will just assume that, oh, now this is good. I thought it was bad, but now it's good. Not with PTSD. It's not that easy. I wish it was. Um, but, you know, working with that kind of thing and then other, otherwise engaging the dog's brain, giving them lots of mental exercise, as much as this dog can feel good in a way that's focusing their mind, getting them to think, getting them feeling good in their body, Nose work, for example, specifically engages their sense of smell. The nose is the fastest route to the limbic. I'm feeling a little fuzzy with my memory here, but it was like one synapse from in a dog from the back of the whatever the um, anatomy is of the, the olfactory system in a dog. It's like one synapse, one cell it just has to jump hey to the next cell and boom you're in the limbic system which is the emotional part of the brain and it's also the part of the brain where ptsd kind of lives um so engaging the sense of smell the seeking part of the brain all that good stuff so general pointed training and also general training potentially medication work with your veterinarian about that if you try one thing and it doesn't work try something else so don't give up on medication too quickly um, we're not we're not too quick to prescribe it, but we also want to be open to it because some dogs, just like people, really need the chemical help to help them get through it, along with the behavioral work as well. Good nutrition, taking care of the human part of the equation is going to be one of the best things that you can do for your dog. Physical exercise. And then also in the case, if there's physical trauma attached to the emotional trauma. So in Rex's case, there absolutely is. You know, we also, of course, need to do everything for him to feel as good in his body as he can and, and not be in pain because pain alone can cause dogs to have behavioral challenges minus the, you know, trauma part of it. And he's got, he was shot three times, twice in the hind end and one in the neck. So just making sure that whatever, 
whatever they can do, you know, ideally I would go, you know, of course, working with the specialists and the veterinarians and the emergency clinic that they went to who did his surgeries and, and got him stable, making sure that he's fully healing from that. And then, you know, scar tissue, massage, um, acupuncture, oils, whatever it is, I'd go, I'd go a little alternative on it too. Um, and, you know, really helping his body as much as possible, warm water, swim therapy, whatever it might be to make sure that he's not in any physical pain. Cause that's just gonna kind of get it, keep getting in his way. Um, so there is a lot there and every dog is so different too. So I started off with this and I'm ending with it that trauma can manifest in a lot of different ways. It can manifest in dogs in, you know, with aggressive behavior. It can manifest with anxious behavior. That's not necessarily aggression. It can, you know, more fear, fearful presenting behavior. Um, and also aggression can oftentimes be fear-based. So I feel afraid I'm going to act aggressive versus I feel afraid I'm going to go hide under the chair and just shut down. So every individual is going to kind of ex manifest that differently. So it's just so important to get to know the individual and to tailor these things. I've sort of laid out some general bases to cover, but we've got to know who we're working with as an individual. Be present to your dog. As you're working on things and trying things and doing all these repetitions, you've got to let the dog tell you, is it working or not? So, okay, hey, you know, the dog's getting better. Awesome. Let's keep on this track, keep doing what we're doing and give the dog more time and, and he'll probably get even better. Or, you know, we've really been doing this and we've really been doing this for, you know, a few weeks now or several weeks now and we're just not seeing any improvement. Okay, we'll take a step back and look at what, what do you need to change so that the dog is successful and have faith. Have it be your intention that, you get your dog through whatever it is that they need to get through. Um, that's a huge part of it, and it's true with people as well. You know, your intention, your your optimism, your faith, your resolve. Um, we're going to get through this. You're going to get better. I'm going to help you get better, and I know that we can do this. That's so important to bring that attitude to it in the first place. So be patient. Stay with it. Um don't give up, be fierce about it, but be patient at the same time and have faith that, that, you know, you can make a difference and that they can get better. It can just take some time. So that's it for us today. We'll be back next Wednesday live at 2 p.m. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.